The following program is pre-recorded. From Buck Studio at Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Zorba Pastor on your health. I'm Tom Clark here again with family doc Zorba Pastor to talk with you about what's new in healthy living, share some down-to-earth advice, and great lifestyle tips to help you get the most out of life. If you have a question for the good doc, the number to call is 800-462-7413. And along with your calls, we have some topics to talk about, Zorba. I hope so. Over-the-counter hearing aids. Took a while, took decades to finally get the feds to say, indeed, we can have over-the-counter hearing aids. Now, they're going to be different from the prescription ones, but they are going to be available. They actually are available in certain parts of the U.S. right now. And we're going to talk about the fact the CDC says kids 8 and up should be screened for anxiety and depression. What are we talking about? What's going on with our children? What should we be doing to keep them healthy? Yeah, you know I'm interested in the hearing aids. I know that. I know that. You've had them for a long time, and you are very pleased with them. And if you didn't have them, you would not be happy. You're right. And what's our special recipe? Butternut squash mac and cheese. Now, I know, Tom, mac and cheese. When Monica makes mac and cheese, you love it, right? (laughs) And I know that when I was a kid, I always loved Kraft macaroni and cheese. In fact, that was always a go-to staple in college, and it still is a go-to staple in college and many college dorms and but this is butternut squash mac and cheese. If you like mac and cheese, stay uh, stay along for this recipe. You're going to love it. And if you don't like me, then just stay, <laughs> stay with us anyway. We'll get rid of that and then go on to other things that you're more interested in. To the phones we go now, Zorba. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Our first caller joins us now. From Queens, New York. Hi. Hello, Dr. Zorber and Mr. Clark. Uh, I want to talk about uh, brain fog, if I may. You bet. You bet. Good topic. Go ahead. You know, I, I have the, I definitely have brain fog. Sometimes I have brain fog so bad, I think I'm in London sometimes. Wow. Mm. Wow. Uh, well, Queens is not London. I can tell you that much. Did you have COVID? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. Not that you know of. Not that I know of, right? Right, uh, right. Did you get? Have you gotten immunized? By the way, oh yeah, I had the uh, the vaccines, the first uh, batch. Mm-hmm. Wanted to do it, and I had the booster. Uh huh. You know. Tell me a little bit about this brain fog. Okay, you know, I have the typical. Uh, I'll go into a room. I'll say to myself, "Now, what did I come into this room for?" Yeah, yeah. Well, well I've had that for room. years. Well, I'll have a, a conversation. I'm having a conversation with a friend. And then I'll say, what were we talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, things like that. I forget names. Oh, uh-huh. so, so in any event, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm looking into these so-called uh, memory helpers, brain uh-huh. uh, boosters. Uh, uh, I have the, the, the top five written down here. Uh, primal mind fuel improves memory, uh-huh. uh, attention. It even covers stress. Uh-huh. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Improves con- cognitive uh, uh, performance. Uh-huh. Uh, Nor- Norbra, something uh-huh. brain, brain supplement. Yeah. Then you have uh-huh. uh, Noriva uh-huh. and Focus Factor. And last but not least, mm-hmm. the one you see on TV yeah. constantly is yeah. Revagen. Yeah, wonderful. wonderful. Okay, so I, what's it? I'd love it to work. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just take a pill and work? And on TV, they show these people and they go, you know, I used, you know, I used to not, I couldn't remember names, and now I remember everyone's names. And I took the SAT, and I got eight hundred in the SAT, and I used to be a bad student. <laughs> That's right. I went back to school and got a PhD because I because I took this. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it states some of these state. Sorry to interrupt. Some of these state. Uh, they state. Clinically studied ingredients. Yeah, that's right. Clinically yeah, that's, studied that's right. Yeah, ingredients. That's right. That's right. That's right. L O L. And you know, and I could use I could use a word that begins with a B and ends in a T, and sounds like an animal that's a bull. But I can't say that on public radio. So you can just imagine exactly what it is. <laughs> they don't work. You know what? And, and these and these items are not cheap. 
No, of course I'm not. looking at the prices. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's why they have – well, of course, you got to pay for those TV ads. I'll tell you a few things you can do. So first of all, and I, and I, I really have done research on this, exercise improves memory. What are you doing for exercise? Let me tell you what I'm doing for exercise. I used to be an avid bicycle rider mm-hmm. up until four years ago when mm-hmm. I had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just finished restoring a folding bike, uh-huh. which it, it takes up no room. Mm-hmm. We, we, we moved from a house to an apartment, my, my wife and I. Okay. I restored it. So I'm back on the bike. I, mm-hmm. I took a couple of rides already. I walk. Uh, believe me, I'm no couch potato. So that's so that's the number one thing. So we know that we know that exercise makes a difference. The next thing we know that makes a difference is using your brain in some way that encourages imagination. That means reading something where you have to imagine something. So in other words, you can read the newspaper and other things, which are, which are also very good, but you want to use it to imagine things because that begins to stimulate your brain. Hmm. In other words, imagination. So you're reading a book, you know, it's a short story or something else, and it's a story about something. When you're using your brain for imagination, you are actually exercising your brain. So when we read topical stuff in the newspaper, it means one thing, but try to imagine what's actually going on, and that's a brain stimulant. Now, they always talk about crossword puzzles. Well, I'm dyslexic. Nobody in my family read. I have not repeated – I have not uh, finished a crossword puzzle since I was 12 years old in high school, or rather 14 years old in high school, and I do it. I hate crossword puzzles, and they always go, oh, you got to do crossword puzzles. I'm thinking, no, you don't. You don't have to do crossword puzzles. Right, Tom? Do you do crossword No, not at all. Not at all. And they go, do your brain do crossword puzzles? And I think to myself, this is the crossword puzzle, you know, association, which is saying that's the only way to improve your brain. (laughs) No. Imagination does it. So exercise and imagination. And, of course, a good diet, a Mediterranean-type diet. Save your money and don't buy that stuff. It's garbage. I definitely will not buy that stuff, believe me. (laughs) So thank you. I I thank you for all the advice. You're welcome. And you guys take care, and uh, and and thank you again very, very much. You're welcome. Yeah, you take thank care. You. Thanks we for your call. really appreciate that call. I'm really uh, paying attention to this topic, Zorba. Over-the-counter hearing aids are now available in the U.S. for the first time. So my first question is, why did this take so long? Come on. We have iPhones. We have iPads. We have well, Apple. I mean, well, why did it take long for let the me feds guess, to Let me guess, this? because they aren't yeah, any good. That's right. And the ones that I get, which cost well, me a fortune— are wonderful. The ones you get are great. So what happened is you had a lot of you had a lot of industry people in the hearing aid industry that lobbied against it and said to the feds, "No, if you have over-the-counter hearing aids, you're going to ruin people's ears because they're going to be too loud." And there was a lot of money in the till here. Let me tell you, I am a hundred percent sure of this because this should have been done. Decades ago, there should have been the ability, which you can in a lot of countries, to get over-the-counter hearing aids. They're not going to be—they're not going to be as good as yours, Tom. I would say, but for people with mild hearing loss, mm-hmm. these things are going to be a boon, and they're going to help your brain because we know that people with hearing loss. You know, if they don't amplify it, it's not good. So here's what it is. A per, you know, hearing aids are going to be available. I want to tell you something. Walgreens, I mean, I've got some data, is going to be selling over-the-counter hearing aids for $7.99. They're still not going to be cheap. They're going to range from – they're going to be hearing aids at Walmart from 200 to to $1,000. Uh, they're going to be hearing aids at Hy-Vee, at Best Buy is going to have different devices all over. The feds did their final rule that allows it. Now, the new ones are going to be – Hearing aids, which are not going to be too loud because one of the issues are you may have more uh, you may have more amplification in your ears than an over-the-counter hearing aid will allow. So they're really going to be, from my mind, for mild to moderate hearing loss. But I think for a lot of people, uh, the reason they haven't gotten hearing aids, first of all, they don't want to spend the money. They're very expensive. Do you know how much yours cost? Um, I can't remember, but it was... In the thousands. Yes, it was that probably twenty five hundred to five thousand dollars. So you yeah, took a lot of money for yeah. a hearing aid. But for mild loss, for people with mild loss, these are hearing aids that are going to be a boon. And what's going to happen is this is going to allow people like Apple and others to get into the hearing aid business. So you're going to have people with mild hearing loss that's going to make a difference. Now 
we now know, according to the Lancet and other studies, the people with mild to moderate hearing loss that is unamplified, that they are more likely to get dementia and serious alt- and Alzheimer's disease. That's what we think because they're not engaging with people and they're not their their brain is not engaging with what it should uh, go on the outside with stimulation. So I think this is a wonderful thing. I think there still is going to be a place for hearing aids for people who have more a moderate se- to severe loss. So don't. By no means this is not for everybody, but by all means, this is for a lot of people. So finally, the feds did it. Thank you, FDA. 800-462-7413 is our number. We have a voicemail now, Zorba, from Buffalo, New York. Hi, Dr. Pastor. I'm 49 years old, and I am wondering how do you fix the Wagger? hump on the back of your neck. Is there any way to reverse that? What do you recommend? And thank you so much for your show. I just love it. So she's talking about the dowager's hump. She just didn't pronounce it. So think about, I'll tell you the dowager. I don't know what that is. I'm going to explain. You know who Queen Elizabeth was? (laughs) Yes. That's right. Did you notice her in the last pictures? You probably didn't notice her. Mm. How her neck was a little bit forward. If you notice, she was bending a little bit forward in her neck. And Maggie Smith, Maggie Smith on Downton's Abbey. I know you watch Downton Abbey every time it was on, right? Actually, Monica, did you watch Downton Abbey? Uh, But she did. So Maggie Smith is the dowager in Downton Abbey. She has that great line when they said, uh, when they said, when they were talking about something and she had this great line like, what's a weekend? I remember that was like her signature line. But a lot of older women who have osteoporosis have osteoporosis in her in their neck and they move a little bit forward and their head moves a little forward and their neck becomes stiff. Hmm. And that's a dowager's hump. That's That's what it's called. So first of all, you want to prevent it. So you prevent it by having enough calcium doing exercises, and taking drugs that are like alendronate, which is Fosamax. And these are drugs that actually help with osteoporosis and other drugs like Reclast that are injections twice a year. That's what you want to do. That's what a lot of women need if they have osteoporosis. Once it's there, you have trouble reversing it. But range of motion activities with your neck. Your physical therapist can teach you activities. You can go to YouTube and look for neck activities. Put on neck activities, dowel your hump, D-O-W-A-G-E-R, that was your hump. Uh, you can do that. But you can't fully reverse it. You can partially reverse it. But the real issue is not to get it in the first place with the right drugs for osteoporosis. Yeah, and you mentioned women a couple of times. Men don't get that. Well, they get it, but men are, men are much less less likely to get it. I'm not sure, but men do get it. I t- men get it, but men do not suffer from osteoporosis as much as women do because they have a spine that has more – most men have a spine that has more calcium than women. So women suffer from osteoporosis, the last time I looked at it, about four to one over men. But for men, you wouldn't call it an, a dowager's hump. You would call it an old guy's look. You have to have another <laughs> yeah. thing. It wouldn't be a dowager. An old, guy, an old guy's hump. <laughs> but once again, if you want to see one, go to the net, look at Queen Elizabeth in her last pictures when she was, met, when she was actually looking at the prime minister. Interesting. We take a quick break, Zorba, but let's do that segment where we give one of our naysayers some airtime. This is Disagreeing with the Doc. Okay, Zorba, the following email came to us from someone who calls herself Dog Mom in Milwaukee. Hello to Dr. Zorba and Tom, longtime listener, love your show, but listening to your service dog segment, I have to make a correction. You made a mistake, a lot of people do, so don't feel bad. (laughs) Service dogs are trained to do specific tasks to assist their handler. It may be, as you said, assisting the blind, opening doors for the physically impaired, or even detecting seizures, panic attacks, or change of blood pressures. What you got wrong was confusing service dogs with therapy and emotional support dogs. Therapy dogs work in schools, 
medical facilities, etc., to create a calming atmosphere for people in need. These dogs are tested extensively for mild-mannered temperaments. Many times, these are the dogs that come in to provide comfort to kids having to testify in court or return to school after a shooting. Emotional support dogs are not mandated to have any special training, and there's no certification involved for them. While the ADA requires allowances for certified dogs because anyone could claim their pet as emotional support, it is not unlawful to turn away from public spaces where pets are generally not allowed I hope this clarifies this a bit for you, and thanks for the great show. Now that was a long. That was that was a long. Yeah. <laughs> long. However, I like that clarification. So I think I, like most people, are kind of confused by it. You know, that's it. And so the clarification was good. Emotional support dogs. There is no. There basically is no definition of what that is. I think that's really what the what the issues were. This had a lot to do with airplanes, getting on airlines with your dogs, and so on. And. Uh, and I think it's really important for us to be able to differentiate that because what this listener is telling us really has to do with how these dogs are basically certified and the difference. You know, seeing eye dogs are a totally different thing. And there's usually a harness when I see them, you know, where, where the person is holding on to them. Mm-hmm. They're, a very, they're a very limited number. But then I see people who have their dog going into the grocery store and it says service dog. And I don't know what that means. And the fact is, I don't know whether or not there's any certification for that specific thing, and it may vary by state to state to state. So this is all an evolution. Thank you so much for clarifying that to our listeners. Do you think Zorba got something wrong on the show and needs to bone up on it? Don't write. Don't write. Don't correct me. Forget it. Just suck it in and don't say anything. But if you really want to correct me, Tom will tell you how to do that. Yeah. Don't call me up on the phone. That's I don't want to call. <laughs> okay. Just post on our Facebook page. Yeah, go ahead. Anonymously. Us, or go send ahead. us an email at Zorba at WBR.org. And, and I'm sure to, to look at each one of those personally and take it to heart. <laughs> and if you believe that, Good. I'll tell you other stories. <laughs> oh, I believe it. More of your calls to come, more of your emails, and we'll be cooking up a tasty butternut squash recipe, all coming up on Zorba Pasture on Your Health from PRX. Tom Clark here with Family Doc Zorba Pastor on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. The number, if you have a question for Zorba, 1-800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, butternut squash mac and cheese. Oh, you sound so excited. I can't believe it. It's like, <laughs> it's like you are over the top of the excitement. You just can't get to this recipe, can you? Can I just take a break while you're doing take this? Take a break. This is mac and cheese with an interesting thing. So I have been a, a squash. Uh, when when there's squash on the table, my wife says, let's make squash. I make it, but I don't, you know, put a little butter in it, maybe some sugar and salt. I'm not big. However, when I have Thai food or Asian food, mm. I happen to love squash curry. So that's one kind of squash. This is a mac and cheese variation. Now, we live in Wisconsin, right? 
Yeah, right. I mean, mac and cheese, I mean, that's in our DNA. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you go to a, re- a regular Wisconsin restaurant and they usually have mac and cheese on there. I mean, that's the way it goes. This is a variation which for those people who want a little variation in their life, you're going to like. All okay. right. Start out with four cups of squash cubes. You can use fresh or you can use frozen. Four cups of fresh or frozen squash cubes. That's right. Now, did you know there were frozen squash cubes? No. I'm, no, you didn't. That's right. That's <laughs> Four tablespoonfuls of butter. Four big tea butter. Teaspoon of kosher salt. Little tea, kosher salt. You're going to use a half teaspoon of pepper. Half a little tea, pepper. Quarter cup of flour. Quarter cup all-purpose flour. Two cups of milk, whole milk. Try to use whole milk. Half teaspoon of garlic powder. Half a little tea, garlic powder. Little cayenne pepper is going to be in there if you like cayenne pepper. We like it hot. Cayenne pepper. Some like it hot. Remember yeah. that movie? Yeah. Was it Marilyn Monroe? Carl, do you remember Some Like It Hot? I've never seen that movie. It's, be, it's, it's before your time. Yeah, before your I time. Know Marilyn Monroe is. He had a poster <laughs> of Marilyn Monroe <laughs> on his door That's when good. he was in high That's school. Good. Life, life <laughs> size. That's good. Life size. Yeah, those, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to the recipe, one teaspoon of chopped fresh thyme, yeah. four ounces of shredded cheddar. Pick. Uh, I want to talk to it a little better. Maybe sharp. It may be bright. If you sh- if you shred it fresh, it will actually taste better than if you buy it shredded. Mm. So you can use four ounces of shredded cheddar, but you're better off shredding it yourself. And it's hard to say shred all those times. Yeah. Okay. Four ounces of that. Shredded cheese. Yeah. Uh, four ounces of goat cheese. This four is going to use goat cheese. Four mm. ounces of goat cheese. Yeah, and cheese. I've never seen shredded goat cheese. I'm sure it is, but I'd get rather. And a pound of large pasta shells or other short, any kind of pasta you want. Okay. A pound of large pasta, pasta shells. Shell. Or any yeah. kind of mix. Yeah. Okay. You ready to make it? I'm ready. Well, you're ready to listen to it. You're never, you're never going to make it. <laughs> okay. Bring a large pot of salted water to height. Salt your water. Just put a bunch of salt in it. Then a large skillet over medium heat. Combine the squash, quarter cup of water, cover and cook, stirring until tender. That's about five, six, seven minutes. Uncover and cook till the liquid evaporates. So first you're going to put you do it with the top on. Then you want the liquid to evaporate. That's going to take a few more minutes. Then add butter. Half teaspoon salt, quarter teaspoon pepper. Stir till the butter is melted. Add the flour to incorporate it. Cook, stirring constantly until the squash mixture thickens. Then put in the flour and mix it around and give it a chance to sort of bind everything together. And gradually, after the flour makes it thick, gradually, in short amounts, add the milk, stirring constantly. It's very important, otherwise you're going to get lumps in it. Add the garlic powder, cayenne, thyme, bring it to a simmer. Then add the cheddar cheese, the goat cheese, stirring until it's melted. Very low heat, not high heat, or you're going to burn it. Remove it from the heat and let it cool slightly. Now, add the pasta to the boiling order. Cook the water al, al dente. I can never pronounce it correctly, and I'm always being dente, al dente. Firm to the tooth. At least I know what it is, even though I can't pronounce it correctly. About two to three minutes short of the package instructions, because you don't want it to be fully done. Drain the liquid. Keep a half cup of the pasta water. Very important. Return the pasta to the pot, and then put the squash mixture in a blender and puree it until smooth. And you're going to have about four cups. You can use an immersion blender if you want to also of that. Place the pot with the cooked pasta over medium-low heat. Stir in the sauce. Remove it from the heat. Let it cook. Add splashes of pasta water to loosen it until it's at the desired consistency. Now, mac and cheese lovers, try this recipe. And if you want a copy, come to our website, zorbapastry.org. That's zorbapastry.org. And remember, we're on Facebook and you can make any comment you want to short of vulgar. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm trying to jot that down on how to get this recipe. Back to the phones. We go now, Zorba. A listener with us in Buffalo, New York. Hi. Hey there. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. How can we help? Um, I'm 65 years old. Congratulations. And <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'm glad I made it this far and hope there's a lot left. That's right. But 
My question is, I have a lot of health problems, mm-hmm. and I am always fatigued, chronically mm-hmm. exhausted, mm-hmm. but there is some good reason for feeling exhausted all the time, I think, but mm-hmm. I, I see so many specialists, mm-hmm. I never can get a straight answer mm-hmm. or a clear answer from them. It, they kind of dance around it, and I'm wondering why am I so fatigued, but let mm-hmm. me give you some history. I'm HIV positive mm-hmm. since 1985. Uh-huh. I have a um, bad spine. I, I had a lumbar laminectomy in 2008. Mm-hmm. They now want to do uh, spinal fusion, which I'm putting off. Mm-hmm. Plus, I am I am morbidly obese. I'm about 95 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. I have rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. COPD, mm-hmm. and emphysema. Mm-hmm. I had a heart attack about five years ago, mm-hmm. and I've had stents put in. Mm-hmm. I have atrial fibrillation uh-huh. and, and atrial flutter, mm-hmm. secondary hypothyroidism. Uh-huh. Putting that all together with sleep apnea, does it make sense that I'm always so tired and I'm, I'm fatigued beyond words? So we'll talk about this. So first of all, come on. Look at all the stuff you have. The HIV, forget about it. I mean, you know, you're under, you're under control. You're taking yeah, your meds, of course. Managed. Back pain, any pain causes fatigue. Okay, obesity means that you're not, you're not doing much exercise, right? Or am I in your Exactly. You've got, no. you've got RA, rheumatoid arthritis, so you're not doing any exercise at all. COPD means you're going to have lack of breathing, and atrial fibrillation takes away 20% of your cardiac output automatically. You don't have 10 or 20% of your, somewhere between 10 and 20% if you're not rhythm controlled. You know, you're, you're still in AFib, right? Mm-hmm. So on hypothyroidism, we can correct. I mean, you know, you got it, you give enough thyroid, so that's not an issue. Sleep apnea is an issue. So when we look back at that laundry list, back pain, obesity, rheumatoid arthritis, COPD, atrial fibrillation, sleep apnea. Each of those things adds up to I'm fatigued, okay? By the way, do you have, de- do you have depression? No, I'm not. Uh-huh. I, I'm actually uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm a retired mental health counselor, uh-huh. okay. so I can navigate okay. that stuff so very, navigate, very well. Okay, so you don't have depression. So that's your good side. That's actually pretty good. You don't have depression, they would add to it. So the, the answer is, yeah, you got a laundry list. All of that together adds up. It's like you can bankrupt yourself with one thing that produces fatigue, or you can bankrupt yourself with many things that produce fatigue, and you've got that. So, so what kind of a plan should you have? So first of all, are you on medications for back pain? Um, hydrocodone. How much? I take 10 milligrams three times a day. That makes you more fatigued. Hydrocodone make you fatigued. You ought to consider, uh-huh. you ought to consider whether or not uh, getting the spinal fusion will get you off the hydrocodone. If it gets you off the hydrocodone, you got to win there. So if the spinal fusion has a good chance of reducing it, uh, then you ought to consider that because 30 milligrams of, hydro, of hydrocodone a day is a lot. Okay? That's number one. Number two, some kind of exercise. Yes, you're overweight, but overweight people do exercise, so you got to find something you can do. Swimming is a great exercise for people with arthritis. So going and joining some kind of a swim place where you can do exercise, if you like groups, doing it in a group format four to five days a week in a warm water pool in your area. That's going to give. That's going to help you with fatigue. Three to four days a week, warm water pools. So they get. So you do the back pain. You do the exercise. Atrial fib. We can't do much about it. Sleep apnea. Do you wear the unit? No, I, I should more. I All know right, you got I it. Should. Yeah, you got it. Sleep apnea. Big issue. People with sleep apnea always have fatigue, trouble wearing the unit. It's got to be fit properly. If you fit it properly, you'll, you can do that. So let's review what we have. Number one, get your back fused. Number two, don't worry about your weight. Forget about your weight. Do exercise in a pool so your weight doesn't mean much at all because you're buoyant. So in a pool, when you do it, warm water pool, you're going to feel better. You'll be with a lot of old people who are older than you. They'll look worse than you, and you'll feel good because you'll say, hey, I don't look as bad as they do. Number mm-hmm. number three, put, put the sleep apnea, go get the stuff and start putting the sleep apnea uh, – on and do it because that'll help those your fatigue. And number and number four, get off the hydrocodone. So those are four things that you can do. And the reason why nobody's giving you a straight answer is there's no straight answer. It's all of those things. And once again, the HIV irrelevant. 
Exactly. Got it? That's well-maintained. It makes a lot of sense, and I appreciate it. So thank you very much, Dr. Zorba. I so appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thanks for your call. And I, great show, a regular listener. Thank, thank you, Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't that nice? 800-462-7413. I mean, how'd you like that? Come on. We had a laundry list of stuff. We went through it. I thought that was, I thought that was pretty good. Absolutely. <laughs> 800-462-7413. And a voicemail now, Zorba, from Hancock, Michigan. My question for the fine doctor, what a wonderful show, is, I want to know what it's like for doctors nowadays to have to deal with the health insurance industry. I'll say it nicely like that. I feel that it takes them so away from being in the room with a patient. I'd love to know the doctor's experience and opinion. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, first of all, insurance is a big issue. Now, when I uh, have my day job or, or when I do my fill-in, I don't pay attention to the insurance issues at all. Now, if you are not in a group practice where you have people who have to pay attention to insurance, it's a big deal for a physician. The real issue is when things are approved or not approved. So there are a lot of things where medications come back and they need pre-authorization. In our office, we have nurses who do that. I never see it, so I'm not bothered by it. But if you're a solo practitioner or you're in a small group practice, it's a major problem. And in my lifetime, it's not going to be solved because there are all these things that happen with health insurance. Now, when patients say uh, say to me, is this covered by my insurance? I have learned never to answer that question because I say, which is true, I don't know what your insurance is going to cover. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what's likely and what I know about, but I can't answer it. And you know what? It's, it's a big problem. For Medicare, it's a problem. Medicaid, it is not a problem because it's government and it's totally subsidized. But when it comes to private insurance and everything, it's a big issue. Hmm. Well, before the break, Zorba, as you know, we have many doctors who listen to the show. And quite often, they'll send us emails offering up their take on something that was discussed on the program. So we decided to create a segment for this. It's called Doctor to Doctor. 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 Medicine. Brad and Carl are You know something? Wacky, wacky, wacky. <laughs> the following question came to us from a listener named Don, who writes, Zorba, I heard you tell an older man that his muscle cramps were related to his age. You said there are no effective treatments. I had a patient who was in her 40s and had severe muscle cramps. She found that pickle juice released the cramps within minutes. I'm an 84-year-old retired physician who also has occasional muscle cramps, usually in my hamstrings in the morning. I tried pickle juice, and it worked. I shifted to apple vinegar diluted with water. It also works. My wife and I love your show for your information, humor, and signature laugh. How nice. How yeah. nice. That's nice. Yeah. Um, so first of all, what I probably said, I don't remember exactly what I said on the show, is that muscle cramps occur more often in older people. So it isn't due to your age because young people get muscle cramps too. Uh, but but it's more common. People who are older are more likely to complain about muscle cramps. Uh, the pickle juice I've heard before really does work for people. I wouldn't say nothing works. I probably said I don't have anything in my armamentarium that works. No drug that I have will work often for muscle cramps. But hey, keep up the pickle juice. Other people have mustard out of packets. It doesn't work out of the bottle or out of the plastic container, mm-hmm. but it works out of packets. Whatever works for muscle cramps work. I have a good friend, Dan Barry. He has uh, a sort of a footstool at the end of his bed so he can press on it when he gets his muscle cramps. He uses magnesium sometimes. He's used calcium. There are a whole bunch of folk remedies for muscle cramps that I think do work for people. So pickle juice, I've heard of kraut juice. Have you ever tried kraut juice? No. <laughs> I think no, we are the only... You. I think... 
Wisconsin and Minnesota are probably, and maybe North and South Dakota, are the only places in the nation where you can see crouches right on the shelf in in the meat section, right next to sauerkraut. In my local grocery store, there's kraut juice. And uh, I, I've had kraut juice. And you know what? It's not my drink of choice. With or without vodka, I do not drink kraut juice. Carl, have you had kraut juice? Sauerkraut juice? No, I've never had sauerkraut juice. Or hot dog water, for that matter. Hot dog, well, hot dog water is not the same as kraut juice. Kraut juice. Anyway, getting back to pickle juice, yes. kraut juice, use it for your cramps. Whatever works, use it. Have a healthy living <laughs> question for Zorba. Or want to try kraut juice. He's always happy to deliver the goods. Oh, God. Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at Zorba at WPR.org. More of your calls coming up. Another interesting topic to talk about. And we tackle more listener emails all right here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health from PRX, the public radio exchange. Tom Clark with Family Doc Zorba Pastor here on Zorba Pastor on Your Health. The number is 800-462-7413. But Zorba, before our next call, kids ages 8 and up should be screened for anxiety, mm-hmm. U.S. Health Panel recommends. Well, it's it's kind of an issue, anxiety and depression. And certainly it has come forth in this time of COVID. Imagine... Can you imagine, Tom, being at home and being like in high school and working remotely like kids had to do? That would be difficult, wouldn't it? Yeah, I yeah. think it would. Yeah. I mean, it would not be difficult. And then, of course, there's anxiety, depression that's associated with puberty and growing up. Yeah. So, uh, the U- I mean, it's very interesting. U.S. Preventive Task Services Force recommends what we should do. And so they're recommending that kids between the age of 8 and 18 should be screened for anxiety and should be also, they previously have recommended being screened for depression. So the problem is, when do you screen these kids? I mean, you know, they come in the office. They don't necessarily come in the office for physical during that time period. They may come in once every year or once every two years. And then there are other things you're looking at. Are they up to date on their immunizations? Is it a sports physical? Is it a young young girl who's going through menstruation and has menstrual cramps? There are a lot of things you can do. And so all of a sudden the task force says, well, you should do this too. And the answer is a lot of doctors, pediatricians and family docs ignore it because they don't have enough time. You know, there's only so much time in the office to actually spend with the patient. And then the parents have questions about their kids, a specific question. Are they growing properly? Is this right? Is that right? So you have a whole bunch of other things mm-hmm. that are also involved with with this. So it's a great idea to screen these kids, and I think it's wonderful. But we're not going to pick up the anxiety and depression by doing that. So we need other people to sort of do that. And this is maybe something that they should be doing in the schools. In other words, maybe there should be something with a school physical or a school time that they screen all the kids for anxiety and depression. Now, depression scales for adults are pretty easy. In the last week, you say, you know, are the things that normally make you happy, are you doing those things? Ask a 14-year-old that. What are you going to get? They don't speak the same language. No, right. right, I mean, what do you think the normal things – I mean, children speak a different language. And so, you know, the scales for anxiety and depression can't be interpreted as easily as you can often do with an adult. Then if you see something, you have to take action. Well, we need mental health professionals to be able to deal with the kids. To see what? If if they're anxious or depressed, they may need help. We don't have enough mental health care workers to treat children with anxiety and depression. So this opens up a whole other area that is really important with teenage health. I would think it's difficult to separate kids that have depression and anxiety from other kids because they're they're at obvious— No, no. You're right. 
the screening methods, the screening methods that are that are supposedly you know easy methods to use, are actually not that easy to use and not that easy to interpret. And then once again, they're screening, so then you've got to get them somewhere to get them help. So what we really have is a public health issue with our teenagers, with our kids that the the U.S. Public Service Force had looked at. Well, let's do some screening, and the answer is no. We need screening. We need mental health professionals, and we have a way of actually picking them up. And we've got to do it in a better place than a doctor's office or a nurse practitioner. We've really got to do this in the schools. 800-462-7413 is our number. 1-800-462-7413. Now, Zorba, let's see if we can help a listener in Jacksonville, Florida. Hi. Dr. Zorba and Tom, how are you? Okay, thanks. How can we help? So I have a very unique, I believe, um, situation. I really enjoy um, thinly sliced red onion on salad and sandwiches and have for many years. But I've noticed over the past couple of years, if I eat red onion, raw red onion, it doesn't affect my stomach. I don't have any kind of discomfort, but I will be wide awake at two in the morning. It has a caffeine effect on me and I can't figure it out at all. Yeah. It's so bizarre. And I wondered if this is something that is, is a known thing about red onions and, and I just don't know about it or if you have any idea of what might be causing it. In the least. I mean, onions do not contain stimulants. I mean, they're, you know, they, they, they don't contain caffeine. I mean, there's no caffeine in red onions. Um, Are you kept awake by something in your stomach? Is your stomach gurgle? Does your stomach area, is your stomach painful at all? It's not. And other foods do affect it, like pepper and things like that will. But, but yeah, that's, that's what's mystifying is that it just feels like I can't sleep. And it's only the, the red onion is the only thing I've changed. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of red onions or onions of any sort or garlic in the same family keeping you away. So is it, is it based on the time of day that you eat the onion? I mean, you're not eating it for breakfast, obviously, or maybe you are. Yeah, it doesn't, no, <laughs> not for breakfast. It doesn't seem to be. Uh-huh. So if I have a sandwich or a salad at mm-hmm. lunchtime and I, and I, it's, and I know that I, because I love them, mm-hmm. I know that I will get them on the salad and I'll just regret it later. And I do. You eat, so, do I you eat, so do you eat onions every day? How many days a week do you eat onions? No, I typically don't eat them, which is why I notice when I do, I think. Uh Um, If I'm at a restaurant, typically, and Uh there's red onion on a salad, and I go for it, then later on, I just know. And I just wonder if maybe, maybe I can't tell that it's my digestive system, but it is. But I, because I don't feel it. Well, you should be able to tell. I mean, I'm. We're talking about gut problems, bloating, anything of that nature. That's that's not the. How about cooked onions? How about cooked onions? Does that cooked do it? Onions? No, they seem to be fine, uh-huh. and marinated onions also seem to be fine. <laughs> so really, it's just... <laughs> I know. You know. You know, there are things in medicine we call medicine quandaries, puzzles that we have yet <laughs> that we have yet to understand. And there may be other people who will listen to this who have onion dysplasia or something of that <laughs> nature, where they have onions there, and it has to be a red onion. Does it happen with a white onion or a yellow onion? Or is it only the red onion? Well, I don't really eat raw, red, yellow, or white onions on anything. In that other words, you're, you're, a, you're a red onion person. You're a red onion person. Yeah, it's red or nothing. <laughs> uh, it's red or nothing. Well, you know what? One of the things about this show is when we ask questions, and I don't have all the answers. Surely I don't have all the answers. And we ask our listeners to chime in. We're going to get some answers. So we'll get back to you on this because I know that people listening to the show now are going to have comments. There are other people somewhere in public radio view that stay up because of red onions, I bet. And if so, they might have an answer. And more importantly, they might find something that you should take when you go to sleep when you have your feast of red onions. Yes. 
I love this. I think we should start an Insomnion Club. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, thanks so much. And, uh, and we'll let you know what we find out. We'll let you know what our listeners say. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it, and I love the show. Thank oh, you. Thanks very serious. much. Thank you so much. Take care. 800-462-7413 if you have a question for Zorba. one 800 462 Okay, Zorba, let's crack open the Zorba Pastor on Your Health inbox and take a listener email. The following question came from a listener named Scott who writes, I really enjoy drinking sparkling water with cranberry juice. I get the good cranberry juice pressed not from concentrate, nothing added, My question is, am I getting all the health benefits of drinking cranberry juice since I am not drinking it straight? Thank you so much. Love the show. Thank you. Well, uh, the answer is yes, you are getting it. And drinking cranberry juice straight is really difficult. It's really a very sort of bitter, kind of a bitter taste. That's what I think of it as. And nobody can tell, well, not nobody, but hardly anybody can tolerate it, which is why they make cranberry juice cocktail, which is because they use a little juice and then they use a lot of sweet water to it. So the answer is yes. You're getting all the benefits because you're getting cranberry juice, as you said, fresh pressed. You're diluting it with sparkling water so you can drink it. And the answer is yes. You're getting all of that. And cranberry juice is really good for us. As we know, it may help prevent uh, urinary tract infections. It's a folk remedy that's used for many years. And Wisconsin grows a lot of cranberries. I think we're like number one or number two in the country. Carl, do you know what we are with cranberry juice? I don't. I think we're number one. I want to say I'm just going to say we're number one. Yeah. So I, you know what? We're number one we're when number it comes one. to that's right. Carl, we're number Carl one. Knows. He's ty- he knows. He yeah. knows everything. So the answer is yes. Support our cranberry juice farmers. Do you have a lingering health question for the good doc? Just post on our Facebook page or send us an email at zorba at wpr dot org. is our number, 1-800-462-7413. Now, let's hear a voicemail from a listener in El Paso, Texas. I have a question. When I was a kid growing up, I knew I was going to be a diabetic because my mother had me when she was depending on insulin. And I remember she had some, some tape that you would dip into your urine and it would tell you more or less how much sugar was in your system. Or she used to take a test tube with a pill and paraphernalia like that. But I was wondering, couldn't somebody invent like a toothpick that you could dip into food that you're just about to eat to see how much sugar it has? Thank you. That was the test that was used when I went to medical school. I think it was called Clinitest. And what happened is when you spilled sugar into your urine, this little this little strip would just pick up the sugar. So in other words, you already basically were spilling sugar. It wasn't a very good test. Uh, based on today, it was the best test we had, and it meant you needed more insulin because you didn't want to spill the sugar. And if you're spilling sugar, you're already too high. And that was the test that was there. As for uh, a toothpick in... You would put in to see whether or not there's too much sugar in food. That's a great invention. And can somebody invent that? Yes. Anyone listening on public radio, please invent that. That would be something that's very good. But I'll tell you something that has really changed diabetes, and that is the continuous glucose monitors, the CGMs, which are very, very good for people who are on insulin now because it really tells their highs and lows. And a good friend of ours who developed diabetes at the age of nine and who is now 80, so he's been through a lot, said this is a game changer that all of a sudden he can monitor things even better and adjust his insulin better than he has ever had before. So yes, as far as this person, if his mother had diabetes, he certainly was at risk for diabetes uh, at an older age. And the answer is right weight, exercise all the time and eat a Mediterranean diet and you may not become a diabetic. It doesn't mean if she had it, you're going to get it. Mm. Uh, Before we head out, Zorba, let's do the segment where we feature what our wonderful listeners are writing (laughs) on the Zorba Pastor on your health Facebook page. Yes, wonderful, right. They're always wonderful, right. This is called (laughs) Facebook Feedback. 
Facebook feedback. Okay, Zorba. First, Ellen in Wisconsin asks, Does sertraline cause diarrhea? It seems like since my daughter started back on it, she's had diarrhea every morning, two-plus months. She's on 25 milligrams a day. Thanks for your help. Love the show. So, first of all, I don't know all the side effects from sertraline. I've not heard that sertraline causes diarrhea, but what you've got to do when it comes to side effects, and I certainly can't memorize all the side effects of drugs, is if it's greater than 5% or less than 5%. So, when it shows a side effect is less than 5%, it's usually not proven. In other words, it's a maybe causes that. So, go to sertraline on the, on the web. The way you Google it is you write down, is you Google sertraline side effects diarrhea, and you've got to then look at a site that tells you the percentage, and it's a percentage that comes from the company or the generic. It's a generic antidepressant. It was called Paxil when it was a name brand. And then look it up and see whether it is. So I don't know whether or not that's the case. The other thing you may want to do is talk to your doc and see whether what they think about whether or not it should be changed. But I've not heard of sertraline causing diarrhea. But I may be wrong. Once again, I always, I always look those side effects up because I can't memorize all of them. And finally, Brian in Cassville, Wisconsin says, Zorba, what is your latest on toe fungus treatment? My latest on toe fungus treatment is the fact that the over-counter, or the, rather the prescription medications like Lamisil, have now dropped in price. They were incredibly expensive. You need a pre-authorization to actually get it. And now a 90-day supply doesn't cost very much at all. So if you've got over-the-counter toe fungus and you want to get rid of it, you can use a whole bunch of folk remedies. But frankly, the uh, the Lamisil prescription medication uh, medication is 90, 80 to 90% effective. That's what I would go for. And it takes six months before you finally often see the result. Thanks for your Facebook questions. And, of course, our listeners can always send us an old-fashioned email at Zorba at WPR.org. See you next week, Zorba. Stay well, Tom. If you missed anything during the show or just want to stream the show online anytime, visit us on the web. At ZorbaPastor.org or, of course, through Facebook. And don't forget you can call us anytime to leave us your question at 1-800-462-7413. Zorba Pastor on Your Health is a production of Wisconsin Public Radio. It's not intended as our medical diagnosis, so please do check with your doc. Our executive producer is Carl Christensen. Our technical director Yay! is our technical director is Brad Kohlberg. Yay! That was a little louder yay than for No Carl. no. Hip hip hooray for both of them. <laughs> our theme music is by Leo and Ben Sedrin. Hooray! For Zorba Pastor, I'm Tom Clark. Hooray! Asking you to join us on the next Zorba Pastor on your help. Did you miss something on today's show? Simply go to ZorbaPastor.org to catch up on all things Zorba. There you will find recipes from the show, links to the Facebook page, Zorba's healthy living articles, and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. On the web, that's ZorbaPastor.org.